Hey guys, welcome back. I've got another awesome interview planned for today. I'm chatting with my friend Azad Yakatali, who's one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. We've never met, but I feel like I know Azad so well because not only does he share tons of marketing tips on Twitter, but he also shows his personality. I quickly learned that he loves basketball and has more sneakers than I can count. He posted a tour of his closet and it was crazy cool. (laughs) Azad has fully bought into the sneakerhead culture. And as marketers, I think this can teach us so much about brand loyalty, community building, and more. So we're going to cover it all. Please join me in welcoming Azad. Welcome to Making the Brand, the podcast where marketing and pop culture collide. I'm your host, Brianne Fleming. I can't wait to chat about brands, boy bands, and everything in between. Because brands who have a pulse on pop culture can create adoring fans of their own. All right, welcome to the show, Azad. I mean it when I say you're one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter, so I'm happy to have you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, likewise, you are one of my favorite followers on Twitter, so it's awesome to finally you know, chat a bit. Yes, definitely. I love your account because you weave in marketing, but you also share a lot of yourself. Like I feel like I feel like I know you. It's it's really great. I, and I know you love basketball. I know you love sneakers and marketing. But can you tell us more about your background? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, well, you pretty much summed it up. I mean, I'm a simple guy. Uh, <laughs> I like sneakers, I like basketball. Um, so I'm uh, born and raised in New York. Um, got been in marketing for oh, close to a decade now, so I'm really showing my age. Um, but uh, I started in social early on. Um, my major was new media, which is pretty much social media at the time. Um, and got in the, in the music industry working uh, with Universal Records, um, and back when I'm really going to show my age, it's like when G Unit was really popular. Um, yeah, so so that's how old I am. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I started there, um, and then eventually kind of transitioned. Uh, it was a lot of like freelance consulting work, um, working with that group. Um, eventually transitioned to a full time job in healthcare, um, and kind of been working in healthcare nonprofit now for the better part of the past five years. Um, I I do kind of a little bit of everything in in marketing, but social digital communication strategy is my niche. Mm -hmm. You really have to be a jack of all trades. I feel like a marketing hat is just encompassing everything these days. But I love the G-Unit references. I always welcome early 2000s music references on this podcast. So you're in the right place. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Yeah. So it was, um, I was working with Lloyd Banks directly. So he had that little bit of like, so if you're in, you know, if you like music, you like hip hop, you'll know exactly what year that was uh, when when he was popular. um, And I was still in college. So it was was an awesome first job being a music fan. Um, but, uh, yeah, here I am now working, uh, right now I work for Consumer Reports. So that's a huge shift from... (laughs) (laughs) But in the interim, I mean, you've started collecting sneakers, so I want to hear how that started, how old you were when it started, what sparked it. Tell us. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I guess it's a product of the environment I grew up in. So I'm from Brooklyn um, and uh, a neighborhood called Coney Island, which is historically um, 
pretty poor. Um, the, and the only thing that we really had to kind of hang our hat on was um, a few basketball players that came out of our neighborhood. Um, Stefan Marbury in particular was like our childhood hero. Um, so when he made it to the NBA, a couple years into his career, uh, Spike Lee decided to make a movie loosely based on his life called He's Got Game. Um, and he was, it was Denzel Washington and another basketball player, Ray Allen, actually played Stephon Marbury's character. Um, Jordan Brand released a sneaker specifically for those, for that movie, and it kind of became the shoe for Coney Island. Um, I'll show it to you on Kim. Yeah. Uh, so the, for those listening, it's the Jordan 13, um, the He Got Games. Um, and, and I was in elementary school when they first came out and, being you know a child the the fact that this this kind of rep, the movie represented my neighborhood uh, it was showing you know the park that i played in um and the sneaker had like a hologram on it which was amazing for someone in like fourth grade um that really kind of ticked my interest in sneakers um but it wasn't until you know i eventually got a job and it was in my early 20s starting to make some money that i was able to actually start really collecting shoes and this was one of the first pairs that i picked up obviously mm-hmm I love the nostalgia here. I mean, I think between you and me, we both kind of had those experiences as a kid that sparked our interest in either sports or music, and that stayed with us into adulthood. I think about, you know, my backstreet obsession, and (laughs) I mean, it all started on the playground, and I think there's something to be said about passions that stick with you. So I don't really know too much about sneakerhead culture, which is why you're here, but is sneakerhead culture exclusive to the Nike and Jordan brand or do people tend to diversify and it's still considered sneakerhead culture? Yeah, people definitely diversify. Um, Nike is king uh, by far. Um, like, so you've, I, know, I know you were watching The Last Dance because you, you were live tweeting. Um, but, you know, Michael Jordan kind of uh, really invented the sneaker uh, culture. Um, it, it was, he invented cool um, in the 90s, and everyone wanted to be like Mike, right? So um, from then, they, they, they paved the way. Um, now, you know, if you're, if you're a true sneakerhead, you probably have a, a pretty diverse collection. Um, Adidas, of course. Um, certain people get Vans. Um, a lot of people like Asics. Like, everyone has a different style, but um, you're not exclusive to Nike or Jordan. But they are, like... If you're into sneakers, you've got to have a pair of ones, which are the first pair of Jordans that came out. Like those are like the the rare pairs that you need to have before you can kind of consider yourself a sneakerhead. It's like a rite of passage. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Love it. Love it. So I know in sneaker culture, the way people anticipate a new pair of sneakers is just unreal. You know, people will line up outside the mall or, or they used to. I don't know if they do it anymore, but they would sleep in a tent and wait for a new pair of sneakers, kind of like the crazy things I would do for concert tickets, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And if you don't act quickly and you miss your window and you don't get your hands on a pair that you want to add to your collection, next thing you know, you got to look on eBay. So how does scarcity affect your buying behavior as a sneaker collector? Yeah. I mean, I think it adds to the interest in wanting to have a pair of sneakers. Um, that little bit of, hey, I got these, like, they're rare. Um, when someone looks at your feet and says, oh, it gives you kind of a head nod of approval. Um, it's, a, it's a good feeling. Um, I think in, in sneaker culture itself, it's a, it plays a big factor. Um, and and it's, it's marketing, you know, 101, FOMO, right? 
Um, you create less of a product, build a hype around it, and people will flock to it. Um, you don't even need to market it. Like, it'll market itself because um, that word of mouth kind of gets around of, oh, Jordan or Nike's releasing this pair, and look how rare they are. There's only 17,000 in circulation. Like, we got to get them. Um, a perfect example of it is actually the Ben & Jerry Nike Dunks that came out last week or the weekend before. Um, so they, Nike did a collaboration with Ben & Jerry's ice cream brand um, and made like arguably the ugliest pair of sneakers I've ever seen in my life. Uh, yet everybody wanted a pair. Um, and I think they're going right now in the resale market for like $1,800. So um, $100 pair of skate shoes. Um, and they're, they're hideous. I mean, there's cow print on them. They're, <laughs> like, it's all over the place. Um, they're ugly. I wouldn't wear them. But I tried to get them, too, just like, so I can add them uh, to my collection as, like, a, as a badge, you know? Limited edition. Yeah, exactly. Didn't Dunkin' Donuts come out with a new pair? I don't know if it was with Nike, but... I think they did it with New Balance. Um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't as popular. Um, but, you know, when Nike puts that seal... Again, like I said earlier, Nike is probably head and tails over everyone else, right? So when Nike puts a seal of approval on something, um, they, it, they become really r rare. But uh, Dunkin' Donuts did do a collaboration. I can't remember the brand. It might have been New Balance or Asics. I know it was more of a, like a running shoe uh, because the world runs on Dunkin'. Um, but it, it wasn't, I mean, it was still a rare pair. I think they still are reselling for a lot, but they, they don't receive that buzz that when Nike releases something, you know, sneakers is trending on Twitter um, on a Friday afternoon. That's when you know something dropped. Yeah, it, it reminds me. I started this bad habit. I mean, I call it a bad habit of collecting vinyl records. And it kind of just came out of nowhere because Urban Outfitters started releasing all of my CDs from the late 90s, early 2000s on vinyl. So I have all the Britneys. I have some Backstreet. And uh, it's it's really hurting my bank account. <laughs> but they make them all limited edition. And it's like that scarcity and that tension. Uh, like Seth Godin always talks about. He says, make tension between you and your audience. Because if there's no tension, there's really no incentive to take action. Absolutely. I mean, you're just kind of tapping into like human nature there, right? Of you raise your anxiety level. There's a thrill in getting and getting this pair of sneakers or the final or um, even this art piece. Like, you know, there's a thrill in getting it and knowing that you have it, you know, that other people want it. Um, I mean, once you can kind of plant that seed um, in a consumer's mind, it's, it's, a, it's a wrap. Yeah. And then once you start, there's really no turning back because now I have to get every Britney album on vinyl because otherwise it's incomplete. So exactly. Exactly. It's a, the worst part is that we're marketers and we know this and it works on us. Oh, I know. And I'm also a sucker for packaging and everything. It's like, gosh, they got me again. <laughs> that limited edition case. Darn it. <laughs> but also what they'll do is they'll release it on vinyl. And then the next season, they'll come out with the same album. But the actual record itself is like a different color or it's a clear version or a purple version. And I'm like, what are you doing to me? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's again, something that sneaker culture does, right? Uh, I mean, the Jordan ones have come out in every color combination imaginable yet. They sell out all the time. Mm -hmm. a, a simple tweak like that. And you're just, you're adding it to your cart. Yeah, exactly. In, in your experience though, what, pushes you from simply wanting a certain pair and then absolutely having to have it? Like, what is that push? Um, 
Yeah, I think uh, a lot of it is um, personal style, right? So I'm um, I'm big into streetwear. Um, I do like fashion. So if I like a pair, like aesthetically the way it looks, um, I think that's a huge part for me um, wanting to get that pair. Um, so I'll go out and buy it. And now if it's that and it's a rare pair, I'll go the extra mile. Like I'll, I'll you know, enter raffles and I may employ a bot. Um, which is an, an entirely different dark road that we can get down when we're talking about sneakers um, to make sure I get that pair. Um, I may pay way over retail for them um, just to get them. Um, but I think it varies by person, right? That's me. I think like a younger demographic, um, people buy it because it's their favorite player, right? Which is why they they started sponsoring the best players in the league. Um, you know, my nephew is obsessed with Kyrie Irving and he buys his sneakers every every year that they come out just to play ball on them. Um, yeah. So I think it's a little bit of that. It's, it's where the fandom lies. Um, I'm a little bit uh, too old to kind of be obsessed with professional basketball players to buy everything that they come out. So for me, it's more of like, it doesn't fit my style and, and then the, the scarcity adds into it. Yeah. It's a little bit generational too. I feel that way with vinyls, you know, my parents aren't going to go out and buy the Britney Spears records on vinyl. <laughs> you know, it kind of, depends on the generation and what you grew up with and what you identify with. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So what are some ways that brands can foster that kind of loyalty where people go out of their way to go above and beyond to get their hands on a certain product? I think it comes down to building community, honestly. Um, like Nike does it so well. They go beyond just being a brand, right? Um, they speak out for activism they understand their audience, they understand what people care about. They aren't afraid to do the right thing. Um, and that builds loyalty. Um, I mean, right now it's popular to make a statement about Black Lives Matter, right? Nike did that 18 months ago when they supported Kaepernick and, and they turned away a huge um, fan base and client base of people who were against him kneeling during the national anthem. Um, and it's because they knew they, they weren't afraid to do what's right. And they knew what, what their core audience really cared about and how to connect with them. They listened. Um, they still kind of have that small brand mentality. Um, and now people will stand for Nike. You know, it's like um, there were videos going viral of people burning their Nikes. Um, and then there were videos going viral of people just stocking up on new stuff because they supported Kaepernick. Uh, they supported this movement. Um, and so I think like something that a lot of brands can probably learn from is listening to their audience, um, understanding what they care about, um, and then and then doing right by them, not just standing by. Nike takes action. Um, so they it, all of their ads speak, um, not all of their ads, but a lot of their ads speak to you know women empowerment, women in sports, uh, black athletes and athletes and equal rights. Um, that makes you want to support a brand. Um, and so Nike nails that. Um, they were ahead of the curve again with even on, with this George Floyd tragedy. They released a statement immediately. Um, you know, while everyone else is kind of waiting around, they led the charge and then a bunch of sneaker brands followed their lead. Um, yeah, there's a reason why Nike's king um, and they kind of paved the way. Absolutely. I have been meaning to read Shoe Dog, the memoir. Have you read it? I have. Yeah, it's a, it's a good read. Um, it's, it's, you know, Phil Knight, the, it's, it kind of just goes into everything about them building that brand. And, um, and it, it's, I think it's a really, not so much a, like a marketing read, but like just a, a interesting read of like how someone kind of made their dream come true. 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, they're always way ahead of it. Nike is continuing to pave the way, and they're just, they're not afraid to take a stand. And they have these fiercely loyal customers, and even people who aren't, you know, sneakerheads, they're still resharing their statements and praising Nike. And it just, it creates that goodwill. Absolutely, yeah. The, uh, the other day, my husband and I were talking about enthusiast brands. And we were trying to think of some examples because, again, pray for our bank account because he wants to start collecting guitars. So between my vinyls and his guitars, it's just a disaster. But he only has two right now. He has uh, an acoustic and an electric. But we were talking about how brands like Fender and Taylor and all these big guitar brands create these enthusiasts. How would you define an enthusiast? And do you think sneakerheads really set the tone for enthusiast culture? Yeah. Um, again, I think uh, Nike paved the way for a lot of the things that we see today, right? Um, they started with the sneakers app. Um, like I mentioned earlier, when a sneaker drops, um, sneakers, S-N-K-E-R-S, is always trending on Twitter. Um, and that's because as soon as you hit on that shoe, they give you the opportunity to share it on social right away to kind of be a brand advocate saying, oh my God, look at the rare pair I got. Um, and a lot of the times they, they also give you the opportunity to share your losses. Um, and people will kind of share that as well and be like, I hate sneakers. I hate Nike. I'm never buying Nike again, only to do it again next Friday. Um, but that alone, like that, they, they drive the conversation and they make it easy for their customers to do that. Um, that simple. And, and again, going back to just the basics of marketing, right? Creating a share button on, on an article to make it shareable. They, they prompt it, they queue it up for you. It's, um, it's perfectly cut for Instagram stories so that you can share it on stories. There's, not to, there's just white space so that you, when you share it on Twitter, nothing gets cropped. Um, it's, it's well done. It's well thought out. Um, but then on the consumer side of things, it's seamless. Um, and that builds that, that enthusiasm. It builds that, that crowd, that excitement behind um, a product, behind a launch, um, and keeps that conversation, that same conversation happening every week week in, week out for, you know, the past five years. Yeah, they really seem to understand the power of user-generated content, you know, to crop the images right and to think so strategically about it to make their content shareable and allow people to contribute to that conversation. I just, I love that. So do you have any stories about lengths that you've gone to to get sneakers? Because that's really what brand enthusiasts do, right? Like nothing will stand in their way. They want what they want. They have to add it to their collection. So what's one of your stories like that? So like when I tell the story, it's, it sounds a lot crazier than it really is. Um, but uh, so a few years ago, um, the creative director of Louis Vuitton, Virgil Agla, um, he did a collaboration with Nike. Um, so he, in, uh, in the street culture, street wear culture, um, he's kind of a, like a god. He worked with Kanye to kind of get Kanye's whole design um, aesthetic off the ground. He was Kanye's lead designer, I think, or creative lead for Yeezy for years. And then he got the job at Louis Vuitton, uh, created a brand called Off-White, and did a collaboration with Nike. Um, so he released a bunch of shoes, and they were some of the rarest pairs of Nikes um, ever to hit. Um, he deconstructed a bunch of classics um, and then put them back out with like a couple of accents that are um, iconic for his brand, the Off-White brand. Um, super rare to get. So 
for me trying to get a pair, there were 10 pairs released and I tried um, for every pair many different ways. Um, so as opposed to lining up um, outside of sneaker stores, now every sneaker store does raffles online where you raffle for an opportunity to buy a pair. So, you know, you raffle for a chance to give them your money. Sounds insane. Um, but I, I was doing that for, for, for a long time leading up. And um, I thought a little bit outside of the box and tried for Kith um, Miami, which is um, a Kith is a sneaker store based in New York, uh, but they have an outpost in Miami, LA, and I think London. Um, so I tried for the Miami store because I wasn't hitting in the New York store. I hit. Um, Thursday night, I got an email saying, congratulations, you've won the chance to buy your pair of sneakers. Please come by on Saturday to pick them up between 9 and 10. So then I booked, <laughs> I booked a flight. <laughs> I flew down to Miami. I went to Kith, picked up my pair of sneakers. I drove up north about 45 minutes, and I spent the weekend with my parents, and then I flew home. So, like, the story is me flying to Miami to buy a pair of shoes. But, you know, I made a, I made a trip out of it. I got to see my parents. Um, but you know, and I got probably arguably the rarest pair in my collection. That's amazing. And you're, you're lucky that your parents are just a little bit North of Miami. That makes it less crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's exactly it. Like I caught, I caught a decent flight too. It wasn't super expensive. It wasn't a holiday weekend. Um, in and out of, you know, in and out of Fort Lauderdale, it's not that expensive. Um, so yeah, and my parents were there. So it was like a win-win. Uh-huh. It reminds me of recently in March, my husband and I went to Argentina and we really went to see the Backstreet Boys. That was the first thing I booked. And he's always wanted to go to Buenos Aires, but it was never really like on our list until I saw that the Backstreet Boys announced a show there. And I was like, hey, you want to go to Argentina? And he's like, why? <laughs> he knew I was on to something. So when we were in Argentina, people would be like, oh, what brings you to Argentina? And I'd have to say the Backstreet Boys. And you would think it was the food or the wine. But no, it's the Backstreet Boys are really the reason for the trip. So I hear you on that. So do you think that Instagram has lent itself to sneakerhead culture in particular because of its visuals? Or if if there was any platform that really makes sneakerhead culture thrive what would it be it's it's absolutely instagram um i think fashion as a whole kind of really took off um because of instagram um i think a lot more people a, a different a whole different audience is now interested in fashion and um high fashion especially um things that normally um a lot of people don't really have access to right you're not really paying attention to what's happening on the gucci runway um unless you work in fashion but now they pops up on your page, um, you know, certain accounts you follow may share it. Athletes you follow may be at these events um, and now you're interested in it. Um, and the same thing goes for sneakers, right? It's athletes and celebrities who are getting, and Nike, again, tapped into that really early. They start sending rare pairs to athletes. They're posting them online right away. Now you want to get them. You want to be like, you know, Russell Westbrook or, or Justin Timberlake. Um, because, you know, he has his, his, his own pair of Jordans and you want to get a pair of those. Um, so it's, it's just, I think like, the visual aspect of Instagram, um, like, Instagram is, again, I, I think I've tweeted about it where Instagram is just, you know, pretty aesthetics and that's what fashion is. And at the end of the day, it's just something that looks pretty. Uh, so Instagram is the platform for it. Um, and influencers play a big part in that as well. I, I would argue to say that Nike kind of started the whole influencer movement um, by tapping into celebrities to create 
shoes before anyone else did, right? So Kanye's Yeezys are arguably one of, you know, Yeezy is a huge fashion brand, um, but he started with Nike. Um, they were one of the first brands to give him the opportunity to create a shoe. He wasn't an athlete, but he created a basketball shoe. Um, and he was in the top of his game. I think it was 2012. So you know, Yeezy, before he went crazy, um, <laughs> uh, completely on top of the world, and then got a deal with Nike to release a pair of sneakers. Um, and they flew off the shelves. And they're one of the rarest pairs to get right now. Um, and, you know, they, that was, again, foresight. Social media wasn't as popular as it, was, as it is today. Influence, influences weren't really a thing, but they created it using his celebrity pull. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. I've seen at least on Twitter, you gave a little bit of a tour of your closet. Are you one of those people that share your collection on Instagram or how do you express it on your own channels? Yeah, I, um, I, so I have a lot. <laughs> I've actually downsized a bit um, because I moved recently from um, a nice suburban home in New Jersey back into Brooklyn. How many do you have now? I'm at 98 pairs of sneakers now. Um, I was at 140, um, and then I downsized a bit. I sold a bunch off, um, just so that I can make sure I fit them <laughs> in the new place. Um, so for me, it's kind of just like anytime I wear a pair, I might just post them on my Instagram stories. Um, like I, I don't really, it's funny because I kind of get them for me. I don't like, cause there's a lot of folks out there who post their collections to try to gain followers and, and really become, uh, micro influencers in this world. And maybe something I should do because maybe I'll get a free pair of shoes. But um, I just I just really do it for me. So I'll post a pair on you know my stories whenever I put them on or, or rare pair if I get them. Um, I'll just I'll share them on Twitter um, on Instagram. But you know a lot of folks will do full on photo shoots or full on video tours. Uh, I did it. All right. Full disclosure, I did do a video tour of a pair of sneakers I bought recently, um, and I posted on Twitter, and I got a bunch of likes and retweets. Um, but it was like um, a, a pair that they based off of the Back to the Future pair where like they were self-lacing. So I just did a, you know, a quick video of them self-lacing. Um, oh, you don't have to feel bad about sharing that with me. I think I asked you or I, I tweeted at you to share a tour of your collection because I knew you had a ton of sneakers. I, I'll, I'll find the tweet and I'll send it your way right now. <laughs> I mean, they look so organized in your closet though. You did a good job and you keep them all pristine and they're all boxed up and like, not even in like the box that they come in. You have a like a special. Yeah, I think my my shoe storage collect cost is probably more than most people's like shoe uh, like cost of their full shoe collection. I mean, I spend a lot of money on storing my sneakers, but uh, it's like an investment. And like what I you know, like I just mentioned, I sold off a bunch of pairs, and I was selling a bunch of them for more than I paid for them. They were used. Like that's the the cool thing about kind of being in the sneaker world is that they don't really depreciate if you get a good pair or a rare pair. Like you'll find people making 400% profit on a pair of sneakers that they've had for a year and they've worn uh, because they're the, that rare that people who still want them will pay above retail to get that pair. Um, so I was selling off pairs that I've had for years um, at pretty much what I paid for them, if not more. Okay. So you sell them used, you get more than you pay for them, but how pristine are you keeping them? Are you really wearing them? Like, are you walking around Brooklyn in these shoes? So again, I've been in the corporate world for a while um, where I have to, you know, I haven't been wearing sneakers. Now my new job lacks the dress code a bit. So I've been wearing, like when we're back in the office, I'll be wearing them a lot more often. 
but I mean, a guy who has 140 pairs of sneakers who probably only wears them on weekends, you can imagine how good they, you know, the shape they're in. They're, they're in pretty good shape. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to wear, you know, my new pair of Yeezys to like a cookout um, if it rained that morning. Um, so I take, I take especially care of them. But, I mean, they're, they're worn. Like, they're not – I don't brush them with a toothbrush when, before I put them back in the box. You know, they're, they're used. Uh, they're just in good shape. Mm-hmm. So what is your favorite pair in your collection? Uh, so my favorite pair in my collection – it's a bit of a tie. So it's the, the 13s that um, the Higa game 13, Jordan 13s, um, which were like the first pair that I got when I like got a real job. And I was like, oh, I'm going to start buying sneakers. I got myself that pair. And then um, Yeezy has a pair of Adidas out called the Wave Runners, the 700s. And um, they, I, I love them. They're like the most comfortable shoes. I think they, they look completely different. Um, they really started the trend of like chunky shoes that you see now um, that a lot of folks are wearing those like big chunky filas or the Balenciagas if you go really high end. Uh, but Yeezy kind of, he may have ripped off a of Balenciaga with the idea, but he made it popular. Um, and I, I just think they're one of my favorite, they're, they're a pair of shoes that just really stand out. Uh, so they're definitely my favorite pair that I own right now. Yeah, I can see the chunky shoe trend is really taking off. I was listening to this podcast the other day and this girl was talking about her go-to airport outfit. And she's like, oh, I usually just throw on a sweatshirt, some leggings, and a pair of Yeezys, like, to top it all off. So. Yeezys are the most comfortable pairs. Like, they're old man shoes. Like, they look like old man shoes. They're dad shoes, 100%. And I appreciate, like, being comfortable in sneakers. I mean, and I think, like, women especially who are forced uh, because of societal norms to, like, wear heels and uncomfortable shoes. Like, you throw in a pair of Yeezys, they'll change your life. Mm-hmm. Especially at the airport, comfort's everything. Absolutely. So comfort, you know, it's one of the reasons why you choose a certain pair of shoes, I would imagine. But what other feelings are you after as a brand enthusiast? Like, how does it feel to add another sneaker to your collection? And what feeling do you think other enthusiasts are after when they're buying and buying and buying from these brands that they love? Yeah, I think there's... um at least in sneaker culture, there's two uh, different sects. Um, they're the older folks, like myself, and then the younger ones. Uh, so for me, it's a lot of nostalgia. Um, so I'll, I'll buy something for comfort and looks, like the Yeezys. Uh, but I'll also buy a pair of Jordans that came out in the 90s that I was obsessed with, that I saw in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and I've always wanted. Um, and now they've re-released them, so I'll go get them. Um, and I know a lot of people my age and older, um, that's the reason why they go after a lot of rare pairs. Um, and then, you know, the younger uh, folks, um, you know, some of them are called hype beasts and they kind of just jump on trends. Um, so, you know, Travis Scott has a pair of shoes out. Um, he's the hottest rapper out. They want to get him. Um, so that I think those are kind of the two deciding factors for most people who buy sneakers. They either want to get on a hot trend because um, everyone on Twitter has them um, or they're tweeting about them and all the celebrities on Instagram has them, have them already. So now I have to get them. Um, so, you know, those, that's the hype beast. And then the older folks, um, we, we play on our, the heartstrings of nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. And I think nostalgia is universal. Like, no matter, matter what brand it is, to get something that was part of your childhood, like, we're seeing Dunkaroos come back. And all of a sudden, all these 30-somethings, including myself, are freaking out. And when something comes out of the woodwork like that, it just creates that nostalgia and it brings you back. Yeah, and I wonder if it's something that's unique to millennials, right? Because I don't remember my parents really going crazy over 
or they maybe brands never didn't decide to retro things back then. But I don't remember my parents or that generation going crazy over, you know, things that remind them of childhood. Hmm, that's that's a good thing to explore. Yeah, I don't. I don't think my parents are out buying like a pet rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, or it's because we're the cool generation, right? Because I think Gen Z is obsessed with the 90s too. Um, so it's just like we, we, we invented cool. So that's probably what it is. <laughs> yeah, you, you certainly can't blame Gen Z because the 90s were just the best. <laughs> but I also want to know, how has your experience as a sneakerhead inspired you to do marketing and your own job and your own initiatives and how you build your own communities? Uh, yeah, I think there's a two-part answer to that. One, um, like I said earlier, just learning from different industries um, and the sneaker industry being a mammoth um, of an industry. Like I, I pay attention to everything that Nike does on social media and like full disclosure, Dream Job is to kind of run their social account. Um, you know, for me, I'm putting that on the universe. Um, and you know, so I look to them for inspiration because they've been doing it for 30 years of just being ahead of the curve, um, really not just mastering trends, but starting trends, um, whether it was in fashion when, you know, they made sneakers popular to now social injustice. Like Nike for me is one of those brands that, you know, if I were to talk about a top 10, top five brand, um, Nike does everything right. Um, so a tactic that I like to use is kind of applying best practices from different fields into mine. I'm, I'm in a nonprofit. So, you know, something that Nike's doing, most of my competitors aren't doing. Um, something that a sports team is doing, most of my competitors aren't doing. So I'm looking into what they're doing well and trying to um, twist it a bit for it to apply to my field. Um, and secondly, I've like, I don't know, you get a fresh pair of sneakers and it just boosts your confidence. Like the first day of school with those all white sneakers you just feel like you're on top of the world so like for me it's kind of when it, the, when I get a good pair of sneakers and I'm wearing them I, I'm more confident um, I can walk around with my my chest out and my head up um, I'm more confident in the things that I say the thoughts that I have um, and the ideas that I bring to the table um, so I think that's part of it's part of my persona it's kind of like it's where I get my superpowers from I get my strength from my beard and my confidence from my sneakers <laughs> yeah it's funny, a friend of mine posted on Instagram today and she was telling women like whenever you have to go, you know, negotiate something or it's like a really big meeting or you're closing on a house or something. She was talking about the impact of just wearing a button down shirt, black pants and some power heels like it. It really does make a difference. It really and it varies by person, right? Like, I mean, I, I, I can pull off a suit, too. I can pull off a well-tailored suit. But for me. It's like being able to kind of, I don't know if it's kind of breaking out of the mold of like what's normal for our industry um, and, and, you know, dealing with a bunch of stuffy older folks where I'm the guy in there with the good ideas wearing Yeezys. Um, I, I don't know, like it, it, for me, it just, it gets me a little bit more, uh, again, that, that it, it makes me feel like I'm myself in front of a bunch of folks that I might feel out of place with. Um, and that really helps me get my points across and, and boost my confidence a bit. Yeah. And that's such an important lesson in personal branding because we do try to fit these molds of feeling like we need to be more professional. And, you know, I'm not saying be unprofessional, but incorporating your personality more into your job and the way you interact with people, because that's going to boost your confidence and make you feel more like yourself and make you more memorable. 
if you are sitting at a table of suits, they're going to know you as the the smart guy with the cool sneakers, you know, and it it makes a bigger impression if you're just yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I can agree with that more. I think uh, that's, again, personal branding a bit, um, leaning into what you're what you like and, and really just talking about it. Um, I mean, at least I think for myself, sneakers are like a cool thing to talk about. But if you're into something that, you know, you're you might be a little bit ashamed of. The world is so huge that you're going to find your community and your niche and uh, to stand out, like embrace what that, that quirky thing that you collect and, and find folks with like like minded um, collections or interests um, and kind of get to know them a bit and, and feel feel comfortable in your own skin. Mm-hmm. You'll definitely find your tribe no matter what it is. You'll find your people for sure. I know I have. Is there anything else you want to add about the intersection of marketing and sneaker culture and just any other thoughts before we close out? <laughs> no, I, th- I think your questions are pretty spot on. I mean, um, the whole idea of sneaker culture really build a, built a huge community of advocates. Um, people who like Nike, when's the last time you saw like a Nike commercial on TV advertising a sneaker? True. Yeah. <laughs> They don't like they're not saying, oh, these new Jordans are coming out on Saturday. They, they're not in magazines. They're not on uh, on TV. There are no ads running. Maybe Finish Line or Foot Locker will run an ad, but Nike itself won't advertise their shoes because they've built a community that does it for them. Um, I mean, that in itself is a masterclass on how to run a brand, um, making your your consumers, your advocates. If you do a brand, if you do it right, if you give a quality product, you do things right socially do the right thing you know as the world is looking you do the right thing people will happily stand for you um and i think that's something that a lot of marketers and brands can learn from sneaker culture i mean yeah that's that's the holy grail is having your customers do your marketing for you i used to always say that it makes my job as a marketer easy because i didn't have to come up with the script for the storyboard or for that commercial because all these people are doing it for us. We just have to engage. And like you said, do the right thing. And that's marketing in itself. Yeah, it's a, be a brand that people are proud to wear. Um, and then they'll, they'll clearly, they'll, they'll advocate for you. Absolutely. Well, you told me you're starting a podcast soon. So look out for that. But where else can people follow you and see your sneakers, but also your marketing wisdom? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm mostly on Twitter. So it's um, Ayakatali. It's um, A-Y-A-K-A-T-A-L-L-Y. Um, that's my handle. Um, just follow me on Twitter. Um, I will be tweeting a bit more about my podcast um, coming soon. Um, it's health marketing. It's pretty niche. But if you're interested in it, um, we'll be tying in a bunch of different um, references. Um, so I will definitely let the world know when we're live and ready to go. Awesome. Well, thank you. This was so fun. Let me know when you're back in Florida. I'll be here. I'll be your your sidekick to go get some sneakers next time you have to go to Miami. Or Awesome. I appreciate that, Brianne. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you're a fan of this podcast, be sure to subscribe. Or better yet, leave a review. You can also join my Twitter chat at hashtag popchat for weekly pop culture discussions you can actually learn from. If you have an idea for an episode, shoot me a DM at Brianne2K. As always, thanks for listening.